Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 279, and today we are talking about books being released on September 29th, 2020, and more. I'm Jen Northington, filling in for Liberty Hardy, and I'm here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Hey! <laughs> I I that is not an intro I think I've ever read before. So that was an that was a fun adventure. <laughs> you did great. You did great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So we're like doing a late night recording, which is also not a thing I usually do, and I feel very all the books after dark. <laughs> well, see, I'm on the West Coast, so it's only 4:30, so yes. it's still totally sunny here. I just finished oh. with the day job, and now I have your night job. <laughs> my book hat on. <laughs> yes, I do have to share with everybody that Patricia's Skype icon has this like cat ear situation in it, and it's the best thing I've seen today for the record. <laughs> yeah, they're my. So it's funny. They were and are my podcasting headphones that have cat ears. That also there are speakers in the ears. And I can project whatever I'm listening to outward and make everyone else listen to it. But now that I'm working from home for the day job, I also use them during Zoom. So I was in like a meeting the other day with like, I work at a university. So there are all these deans and high powered people. And there's my silliness with cat ear headphones on being like, yes, I am a professional. You are my hero. You're officially my hero. (laughs) Also, I need to order myself a pair of these like immediately. (laughs) They spark joy. They spark joy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred. I mean, that would not be the weirdest pandemic purchase I've made. So, you know, (laughs) it's all relative. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we're actually going to talk about books, I swear. First, let's take a sponsor break. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. 
Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So the Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon-worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today, and it's the fifth book in the series, so make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay. Okay. You go for it. Excellent. For my first book, I chose Burning Roses by S.L. Huang. Content warning for lots and lots of fire, like things being set on fire, which can be a really hard thing to read about if you're like me and on the West Coast right now. Um, And I wasn't expecting that when I read the book. And I I am in a safe space. I'm affected by the smoke, but I just wanted to let everyone have that bit of a warning. This is queer fantasy novella coming through. I really, really enjoyed this book. It involves some of the classic fairy tales that we all know, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a full-on fairy tale retelling. It's a whole story on its own. It's the story of Rosa and Hu Yi, Two women who are described as old, but it seems to me like they're maybe in their 50s. It must be old for like where they are in the book. They travel together, Rosa and Huyi. Huyi with her bow and arrows and Rosa with her rifle. And they both have secrets which haunt them constantly. And they are in Huyi's land and Rosa is in exile going to Huyi's land. Rosa has joined Huyi on her adventures, which basically involve throwing themselves into every dangerous situation, fighting off (laughs) monsters and other magical baddies. It's clear that they're both running from something, but they certainly aren't confiding in one another, not right away. So it's really awkward. They're just kind of like acting to be really great friends. And at the same time, they're keeping huge secrets. We learn that both have wives and a child, or at least had wives and a child. It's complicated, and I don't want to give too much away. What I will say is that in this world, there are creatures called Grundworgen, which are humans who transform into animals, and even as animals, they keep their human intelligence, sometimes even walking around on two legs, talking, and so forth. Rosa grew up in a home where Grundworgen were hated and feared, But in Huyi's land, where they are, they seem typical-ish, I guess. And Rosa's trying to get over her prejudice. In the beginning of the book, the women are relaxing at a cabin when a girl from a nearby village runs and asks for their help. The farms in the nearby village are being attacked by firebirds, which are just setting everything ablaze. And we learn that the firebirds are being controlled by someone. Someone who he knows and who is baiting her. So then they start tracking him, knowing that they are definitely walking into a trap. I loved this book. It's about relationships and healing and redemption, and it was a really lovely and quite quick read. It's Burning Roses by S.L. Huang. 
I was so glad slash mad that you picked it because I also love that novella. And oh, it's just it is it is such an amazing emotional story, which is, you know, not what I was expecting from like a fairy tale remix situation. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Both the main characters had such incredible arcs. And I'm like, how did you like I'm so impressed by the author telling this story and taking us on this ride in still such a short book. Yeah, it's a novella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love S.L. Huang's other books too. I they like I recommend. They get dark. They always get dark, but they're real good. Speaking of dark, uh, actually, it's not that dark. So my first pick is The Mason House by T. Marie Bertino. And this comes with trigger warnings for domestic violence and alcoholism. And this is a memoir. This is a really beautifully atmospheric memoir about uh, growing up in complicated circumstances. Um, The author is Anishinaabe, and she grew up like you know, not really as part of uh, her tribe or, you know, learning anything about it. And she grew up in a very emotionally complex household. Um, Her mother struggled with alcoholism, as did her father, her stepfather, uh, lots of people in and out of her life dealing with alcoholism. And she's incredibly close to her grandmother. And she does lose her grandmother at a young age. And so this memoir, it you know, moves around in time and space a little bit. But you just gradually sort of get this story of growing up in this like tiny, you know, former mining town in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan trying to figure out, you know, who you are and how you fit into the world when there are these like heavy, fraught family things going on around you. And like it is, the material is heavy. But one of the things that I so appreciated about this book is that Bertino has an incredibly soft touch. This book is about as gentle a book as it could be when you're dealing with this kind of material. And, you know, she's going through some really difficult circumstances and she's got a little bit of grace for both her own struggles and those around her. And she's got such an eye for detail. You feel like you're there, you know, like smelling the smells of her grandmother's cooking or, you know, watching her grandmother like have a cigarette and have her cocktail. And like, you know, you can feel sort of the family vibe when she's with her, the rest of her family, with her siblings. It's just really, really beautifully done. It is also pretty short, actually. I actually don't have the page count here, but I want to say like 200 pages or it reads short. It feels very quick, but you just get sucked right in. And I just loved it. And I believe this is a debut. I haven't read Bertino before. I haven't seen any other things out by her. So I'm very excited um, for this new voice, new to me voice, and to see this kind of memoir out there in the world. I hope that people will pick it up because I just think it's so heartfelt and it's so it really speaks, I think, to issues that a lot of people have had um, in various ways and intersections. And she is an amazing writer. So yeah, super excited about The Mason House by T. Marie Bertino. Oh, that sounds lovely. Like it sounds like you said hard, but I like the sound of it. 
Yeah, it's a hard time for hard books, but then also sometimes catharsis is nice. So Right. Well, and I am one of the wacky people that is still determined to meet my reading goal for the year. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, short books, give them yeah, to me. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Can't go wrong with this one. So for my next book, I have Fat Girls in Black Bodies, Creating a New Space of Belonging by Joy Arlene Renee Cox. This nonfiction book is a manifesto for those of us who are at the intersection of fat, black, and female. It's a combination of personal anecdotes, research, and stories from others in the community. The author talks a lot about the messages about being fat she got from within her own family, both the positive role models and the negative comments and reactions. It got me really reflecting about the messages around fatness I got growing up primarily with the Filipino side of my family versus the black side of my family and how much culture comes into play with regards to fatness in my own life. Cox digs into the adultification bias, that is, the viewing of Black girls as needing less nurturing support and comfort than our white counterparts. This feeds into the mammification of Black women being seen as caretakers rather than people who also need care like any human. And when we're thrust into this mammy characterization, it strips away fat Black women being seen as desirable as well. There are so much just layers upon layers in this book. One of the chapters that was really eye-opening to me was when Cox talked about the anti-fatness in Black churches. Gluttony as a sin is a frequent topic, regardless of the reality that people have different bodies no matter what we eat or what we do. Cox hit on a point that the anti-fatness coupled with anti-Blackness is not so much about health, but assimilation. Returning again and again to European standards of beauty and these kinds of racist systems directly, negatively, and mortally affecting the health of Black people. I deeply identified with the author's anecdotes about going to the doctor for something completely unrelated to weight, and yet mm. the doctors focused on weight loss or weight-centric solutions to, again, problems that have nothing to do with weight. Like even like going to the allergist or something like that. It's it's a thing. Um, mm. <laughs> but one of the sections of the book I enjoyed most was when Cox spoke about acceptance as well as the nuances between acceptance and inclusion, which there is definitely a difference. On top of all the great insight, this book is worth the price of admission for the shout outs to other fat black femmes. I found so many amazing folks to follow on social media, websites to check out, and podcasts to listen to. I highly recommend Fat Girls in Black Bodies, Creating a New Space of Belonging by Joy Arlene Renee Cox. Oh, that sounds so important. Yeah, it's, it is really good. I uh, I appreciate the existence of this book. Yes, that's we need those books. We need those books. That sounds excellent. And I will be picking that up. I mean, all of these books are books I'm excited for. But this book, I, I mean, my notes for this are just like, hooray for this book. That's basically everything. <laughs> it's Black <laughs> Heroes of the Wild West by James Otis Smith. And let me tell you my complicated feelings around Western stories. Like, I love a Western. And I also have so many problems with the way that Westerns 
are written, the way that Western history has been taught to us, mm-hmm. the way representation happens in Westerns, like, it is my problematic fave. And it is so exciting to see this book come into the world. It is a, it's not a graphic novel because it's based on, like, real things. It's a, but they are, okay, the publisher calls it a graphic novel. So we'll call it a graphic novel. It is, uh, like I said, by James Otis Smith, and Otis Smith has written and drawn this celebration of three different Black heroes who were, like, renowned in the Old West. There's Stagecoach Mary, who, like, life goals. (laughs) It's like a card shark and a stagecoach driver, and, like, she was best friends with this nun, and she just had the most amazing life. Really fascinating. Never heard of her before. Clearly a massive oversight in my life. One of the others is Bass Reeves, who was the first Black deputy U.S. marshal west of the Mississippi. And you get to see him, like, nab these terrible killers using his, you know, he's outsmarting them instead of outshooting them. And then this man named Bob Lemons, who worked with horses and who was almost 100 years old when he died and was, like, so good with horses that the wild mustangs just like let him hang out with them just for fun like they didn't care that he was there which is you know if you've ever met or like heard about wild horses like regular horses don't particularly like when you hang out with them sometimes like much less the wild ones so this is just an amazing addition to the western oeuvre as it were And the art is so fun. It's cartoony without being caricature-ish, which I think is a feat. I really love the style and the colors that they used. And I just want to get this book, like, I want it in schools. I'm going to give it to my nibblings for, you know, Christmas or whatever. I just feel like everybody who loves Western stories needs to pick it up. And speaking of books, Patricia, that are short and can get you to your goal, it is like 60 (laughs) pages long. It is not particularly long at all. And it's just it's just a lovely thing. I'm so glad it exists in the world. And I so enjoyed reading these stories and truly like Stagecoach Mary, like MVP. So, again, that's Black Heroes of the Wild West by James Otis Smith. Thank you so much for that, because (laughs) now I know what's going in my dad's pile of holiday kits. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really hopeful that, like, what I want the publisher to do, it's a Toon graphics book. I was like, can we get, like, can we get, like, the indigenous and, you know, the, like, you know, Latinx, like, I, I know that they were there. I mean, there were there were Chinese in the Old West. Like, mm-hmm. I, they're, like, we all, we these were all true things, but we don't get those stories. Like, can I just get a whole series that's this, like, recovering oh those lost histories? Wouldn't that be amazing? Somebody needs to do so that. Good. This so is my, good. this is my shout out for that to exist. Definitely. Definitely. So for my next book, I have Ties That Tether by Jane Icaro. This book is a wildly anxiety-inducing romance (laughs) (laughs) set in Toronto. (laughs) Yeah, it's a romance, but I swear I was just like chewing my fingernails off. We start with our one of our protagonists, Azare, on a date that is not going well. Azare is in her mid-twenties and she is Nigerian. We learned that she promised her father on his deathbed that she would marry a Nigerian man and have Nigerian babies and sustain their culture and honor. 
Zare is not super interested in starting a family as she's focusing on her career, but to be in her mid-twenties and unmarried is an article of contention with her overbearing mother. Azare's mom keeps setting her up with eligible Edo bachelors who have any number of issues. The one she's on a date with at the start of the book is an outright misogynist. Azare doesn't even stay through the meal. She leaves and goes down to the lounge at the hotel where the restaurant is and gets herself a drink. Of course, she meets a gorgeous man and they hit it off and Azare breaks her one most important rule which was she has sex with a white guy. This man was in town for a job interview, so she figured one night stand, get it out of her system, you know, be impulsive for once in her life. Flash forward a month, and this man, named Raphael, walks into Azari's marketing firm because, ha ha ha, he's the new hire, <laughs> and now they're going to work together. Whoops. And Raphael is thrilled to see her, but Azare freaks the F out. Like, literally, they're in a staff meeting, and he walks in, and she, like, chokes on the muffin she's eating. <laughs> <laughs> Which, understandable, right? She wasn't expecting to see this guy ever again. But the hits keep on coming in this book, because literally within the first three chapters, I'm not giving anything huge away. But that one night stand a month prior ended up in her pregnancy. Now she's pregnant with a white man out of wedlock and absolutely terrified of telling her mother because she knows her mother will disown her completely. It gets so complicated so fast and the romantic parts are swoony and a welcome respite from the high anxiety I experienced throughout the rest of the book. I really enjoyed it, though. And as I've said before, I'm still newer to the romance genre. So I highly recommend Ties That Tether by Jane Igaro. That does sound extremely anxiety-producing, but also great. Yes. So, well, I'm glad you've read it and can recommend it. I had my eye on that one, but I didn't get to it. So that's uh, exciting to hear your take on it. <laughs> Uh, oh, I guess we're supposed to take another sponsor break, aren't we? Yep. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you and its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. 
Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so my next pick is epic poetry slash contemporary mythology. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's The Half God of Rainfall by Inua Elams. And this does come with trigger warnings for rape and PTSD. And y'all, like, I don't even, I guess I'm having an epic poetry moment right now. (laughs) You're in your epic poetry phase. I am. This is like, (laughs) this is my pandemic mood or something. I don't even know what to tell you. But I, like, fell so hard for this and Beowulf re-translated by Maria Devana Headley recently. And I'm like starting Emily Wilson's translation of the Odyssey again for like the 18th time. I just, I don't even know what's happening to me, but it is happening to me. And it has never, I've never in my life read as much epic poetry as I have in the last like month. And this is one of them. But I feel like this book is sort of like if The Last Dance, you know, that basketball documentary that we all watched because, <laughs> you know, Michael Jordan, etc., all of the gossip around Michael Jordan. So if it, if The Last Dance and Cersei by Madeline Miller had like a poetry baby, that's kind <laughs> of what this book is. It is about the power of female survivors of rape. It's also about basketball, and it's about Nigerian, Egyptian, and Greek mythology, among others. It is fascinating. It starts in Nigeria, and the main character, Demi, is, as a boy, like, when he cries... Like nature responds, you know, downpours, rivers overflow, et cetera, et cetera. But he also has like a perfect hookshot. Like when he touches a basketball, he is unstoppable. And you find out that he is through, you know, very unfortunate circumstances, traumatizing circumstances. He's half Nigerian and half Grecian god. And it's about him and his mother and, you know, how they navigate being the beloved slash having the attention of deities for good and for deeply ill, because we all know what Zeus is like, like, let's be real here. And yet, and basically the consequences of having the divine touch your life in that mythological setting. And it is so powerful and so readable. And I just, you know, I'm used to, like I was saying, you know, with Emily Wilson and Maria Devana Headley, like, these are epic poems that have been around for ages. They come from oral traditions that are very old, like they've been translated and retranslated, and each translator brings something new to them. But this is this is a new story. This is, you know, this is an original piece. But it feels timeless to me 
And I think that's a really amazing feat. And I just was so sort of blown away by this book. And I worry that like people won't pick it up because they're not going to think that they're going to like it. Because, you know, epic poetry is not like a super selling point, I don't think, in this day and age, which is a shame, but true. <laughs> so I'm here to tell you that this is you you should pick it up. It, like if any of the things that I've said sound interesting to you, like this book deserves a chance and your attention because it is stunning. Um, and the author is also uh, the playwright behind the Barbershop Chronicles, which National Theater Live had airing for a little while during this pandemic and and is an, an amazing play. And so, you know, his career is fascinating and he is definitely somebody that I now have on my radar and I will be excited to see what else comes from him because it is just this was just I mean, it just knocked me over. Uh, so, again, that's The Half God of Rainfall by Inua Ellums. Nice. Might have to start. Start hopping on that epic poetry train. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about the rhythms, I think, that even though they don't rhyme, generally speaking, there's something about the rhythms that I think help me focus in a way that like prose doesn't necessarily and focus is real hard to come by right now. So I'll pick whatever I can get. Totally. For my final book, I have Fauna by Christiane Vednaise, translated by Pablo Strauss. And this book actually came out last week, but I was just able to get around to it, and I definitely wanted to recommend it. This is a creepy science fiction climate horror novella. Content warning that there's a lot of creepy and gross animal stuff, and a dog dies at some point. And there's also some horrible stuff done to rabbits. Also, content warning of sexual assault slash coercion. It is a collection of short stories and vignettes that are all connected and center around a biologist who is trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Animals and humans start acting super weird and are also rapidly evolving, mutating in really strange ways. The biologist, Laura, is herself changing and evolving as well. And I'm not only talking about, like, philosophically evolving, I mean physically mutating. On top of all this, there's extreme climate change, constant rains and overflowing rivers in some areas, a whole floating village out in the middle of a vast lake, where for this floating village, one of the main rules, and there aren't a lot of rules, but one of the main rules is do not swim in the evening. And of course, like, as soon as that rule is said, you're like, oh, someone's going to swim in the evening. And of (laughs) course they do. So some of the humans are, like I said, they're evolving and changing. Anything from sprouting feathers to sprouting scales. And others are being taken over by a giant parasite, and it never ends well for them. So it's kind of like this, you either evolve or you die by this parasite. So this book isn't quite linear, and the effect of it is really jarring, though it's clearly deliberate. As you know, I don't read many creepy books, but I liked this one. It's Fauna by Christiane Vednais, translated by Pablo Strauss. I was like, the faces I was making while you're describing some of those things. (laughs) That sounds so creepy and unsettling. I think unsettling is a good word for it. 
Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> if I want to give myself the creepy crawlies, I know which book to pick up. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, so my last book, I mean, I'm making noises about how I don't read that much poetry. And yet here I am, like two out of my four books involve poetry. <laughs> so, so here we are. I, this is my mood. My last book is The Girl and the Goddess by Nikita Gill. And um, this book comes with trigger warnings for child abuse, homophobia, and racism. And I'm going to discuss some of these details a bit because they're pretty central to the story. So this is your moment to skip ahead if you would prefer not to listen to that. So Nikita Gill, as uh, probably a lot of you know, she is um, British Indian and like a big deal on Instagram. I don't inhabit the poetry section of Instagram, so I had no idea. I just saw the cover in the catalog that, you know, I look for uh, new releases coming out and I thought it was beautiful. And I, I was like, oh, interesting, like a girl and goddess, like I'm interested in both of those things. And then I discovered, you know, that Nikita Gill is sort of a phenomenon. So that was really interesting. But I was coming to this, you know, without any sort of prior exposure to her work, which I'm not sad about, actually, because I feel like this is an amazing introduction to what she does. And this is also a book I wish I could go back in time and give to teenage me. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that after I've like described what is it, what is this book about, Jen? OK, so what this book is about is. It is about a young girl named Paro, and you meet her when she is a child, and you follow her uh, through uh, her childhood, her teenage years, up to her freshman year of college. And when one of the defining moments of her life is that when she is seven, she is molested by a stranger in a bazaar in the marketplace. And she uh, she struggles with this. She and in the meantime, she and her family live in Kashmir and partition has a huge effect on their family. And ultimately, they end up moving to Delhi. And uh, her father is a sailor. So he's gone for huge chunks of the year. So it's really just her and her mother for a while. And then eventually her and her mother and her brother. And she is struggling with so much, you know, nobody really knows what happened. She doesn't feel like she can talk about it. She has a lot of trauma and pain from that experience. And she also is visited every now and then by uh, gods and goddesses from the Hindu pantheon, and they tell her stories. And she also is has a beloved uh, nani, her grandmother, who tells her stories as well. And the book alternates between um, Paro's voice, which is the poetry sections, and then these prose sections, which are the stories that the gods and goddesses are telling her. And it is one of those books that for me was both a mirror and a window. Um, it's a mirror onto those, I think, like universal feelings of frustration and the need for belonging and disconnection from friends and family and difficulties at school, you know, that you struggle with throughout your childhood and middle school and teenage years. And, and you know, that fish out of water feeling. She ends up going to college in London. So huge, you know, culture shock. And she has to deal with, you know, misconceptions about, you know, Daisy people and, you know, people are both casually and overtly racist towards her. And then also just like finding her people. Like, how do you find friends? How do you make friends when that's something you're just not 
used to doing that you have historically not been able to do. And then it's this beautiful window into the Hindu pantheon and the Desi experience, which is obviously not something that I, as like a white American, know that much about. So I, I like I said, I wish I could go back in time and give this to like my 15-year-old self. I think it would have meant so much. Watching her struggle with, you know, her sexual identity was very familiar. And, you know, even though she went through experiences that I have not been through, I found so much to relate to. And and then I found so much new in this book to enjoy. And I think it's very powerful. I also love there are illustrations throughout the book that Gil did that come with different moments in the story. And they're beautiful. They're really beautiful. So it's a mix of poetry and prose. I think it's a really good read-alike for Shout by Laurie Hulse Anderson. Poisoned Apples by Christine Hepperman or uh, Bloodwater Paint by Joy McCullough. All of these books that, you know, are sort of come up in the YA world and are giving us uh, poetry, prose poetry, novels and memoirs. This is definitely a good addition to those stacks. So, again, that's The Girl and the Goddess by Nikita Gill. And that's our show. Is that really our show? Did we do it? Yeah, I think we did it. <laughs> Hooray! Yay! So what are you going to read next, Patricia? Well, I am right now reading Seven Necessary Sins for Women and Girls by Mona el And it's amazing. I don't want to say too much because I'll probably talk about it. It's so good. Secret. It's so good. Nice, nice. I just got from the library The Old Drift by Namwali Serpel, which I put on hold because I don't know anything about it, but it just recently won the Arthur C. Clarke Prize. And I saw in that announcement that it had a blurb from Tade Thompson, who is a Nigerian sci-fi writer whose work I really love. And so I was like, well, if Thompson recommends it, like, and it won this prize, clearly I have to read it. And it was startling to me because I hadn't heard of it before. And, you know, the Arthur C. Clarke Prize is a British prize. So sometimes they do pick out things that just like either they hadn't been, well, it had been published in the U.S., but they just didn't make it as big in the U.S. as they did in the U.K. So I'm excited to, to dive into that. All right. So that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who always makes us sound as good as we possibly can. Uh, you can drop this show and Patricia, not usually me, a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Patricia, where should people find you online? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Substack at the Infofile, as in the lover of information. And you can find me, I'm mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And if you want to give us a treat, I've heard Liberty say this before, <laughs> you can leave us an Apple podcast review. We love to see the feedback and it helps other people to find the show. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books. And there will also be a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And that's the show. Happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.